Hi, and welcome to the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ podcast. We've provided a collection of sermons, our midweek lessons, music, and many more tools to help you grow in your walk with God. We are living in an unprecedented and challenging time, but we invite you to listen in and be encouraged as we fight through this together. Be sure to subscribe and feel free to share this podcast with your friends and loved ones. Thanks for listening. How's everybody doing? What's up, Kalia, Debbie D? How, how y'all doing over there? Uh-oh, this is Mike. I hope this doesn't cut out. Team, are you with me today? Oh, there it is. So I might just switch the mics if it keeps cutting out. So, yeah. All right, okay. That's Johnny King back there. Give it up, AV team. Yes. Oh, it's good to be here with you guys. Oh, I'm excited. We're going to talk about one today, understanding uh, this idea of lordship and community. Right, we've talked a lot about the, the kind of overall general principle of, of lordship. Uh, we've talked about you as an individual, and now we're going to talk about lordship in the framework of a community, which is super important. I gotta say something though. Well, you guys probably want to update on how you're doing with my hair uh, situation. So it's getting a little bit better. All right. Every time I see Lorna, she still says, with a real slim shade, he's still, please stand up. I remember the song. So Lorna needs to repent, uh, but that's another conversation. Um, I wake up every morning with this song, uh, the song, uh, We Don't Talk About Bruno, in my head. And it's just like, doesn't go away. No, 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 you don't understand. It's intrusive at this point. Like, I don't want it to be there. It's such a good song, though, right? Like, it's, that's why it's there. We don't talk about Bruno, no. And I'm just like, how does this get it out of my head? And I was thinking the other day, I, I was thinking about Joel, and I was like, Joel kind of looks like Bruno. I was like, I was like, because you remember when Joel had long hair at one point? I was like, and kind of scruffy. I was like, that's Bruno, you know? But he's not hiding in the house somewhere. But he is a prophet. He does prophesy, so there you go. I love that. I love Encanto. If you guys have, have you guys seen Encanto? This movie, this Disney movie, it's awesome. It's like about gifts and using your gift, but also like how you can feel a lot of pressure, you know, using your gifts. It's like a really well done uh, movie. And we, as a church, for those of you that don't know, we're talking about how we can best use our gifts, right, to serve God. And so uh, it was kind of cool to watch it with that framework, even as a as a church here. So as I mentioned before weeks ago, we talked about uh, lordship and how in lordship there's real freedom. This is the paradox, right? What? Lordship? How can I be free when I'm supposed to, this person's over me? But in lordship to Jesus, we have real freedom. And that is the paradox. So, and then last Sunday, we talked about when we proclaim our lordship, we are proclaiming our allegiance to King Jesus. And he, he reigns in this kingdom that has that is here but not yet at the same time, right? It's, it's here, but it's not fully manifested yet. And we also talk about how an individual might enter this kingdom. So today, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about the church's relationship with this kingdom, our collective lordship. And so I'm really excited to get into this with you guys. So kingdom and church, they're similar but different, okay? And this is all on the app also, just so you guys know. Uh, so, similar and different. The kingdom of God refers to God's reign in the world. 
um, and just basically over everything. It can never be destroyed and it can never end. The church is the people of God who live under Jesus' loving rule now, right? There's that collective we, lordship, right? While waiting for the realization of God's kingdom in the future. So they're, they're, they're similar, not ex- but not exactly the same. All right, so the church is, ecclesia is this word used for church. I'm sure I butchered it. Uh, but it's, it basically means a people called out by God. So when you're part of the church, you're part of a people that are called out by God. It's not that, uh, you know, you've signed some, like, you know, membership form somewhere. That, that does, that's not what makes anybody a, a part of a church. It's a part of a church because you are called out uh, by God. And here's this passage in Acts 7. This is interesting. This is a reference back to the wilderness that Stephen is making in Acts 7. And this is, uh, it's interesting because he uses this word, ecclesia, to refer to uh, their time in the wilderness, right? So it says that he was in the assembly, using that word, ecclesia, in the wilderness, with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai, referring to that, you know, the journey through the desert. You guys remember that with Moses, everything that happened there, and, um, and with our ancestors. And he received living words to pass on to us. So this term, church, although it's a very, it's much more of a New Testament term than anything, but it does have its roots in the assembly uh, in the wilderness journey. So we're part of this, this long line of like, you know, people of God. And this is not just the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ. This is anywhere where, where you are making this commitment to Jesus being Lord and everything that that entails, right? So God just doesn't look down he's like, Southern Connecticut Church. This is a collective thing of people who have made this commitment. So a few aspects about the church. It's not a building, right? It's not a building. It's a people. So it's, it's about your commitment. It's about your allegiance. It's about this idea of lordship. That's what makes you part of the church, right? And uh, it's, not a, it's, it's, not talking, it's never referencing a physical structure, uh, but a dedicated group of Christ followers. So also with the church, you are sufficiently equipped, right? This is awesome, right? In the church, we are given these gifts, these spiritual gifts. And we're equipped with also people with with leaders in the church and spiritual gifts. And God makes sure that we are taken care of in his church, amen? Because this is our ability to fulfill his calling on earth. It talks about how the church is actually an avenue through which the wisdom of God can be made known. People can look at the church and say, ah, that's kind of the plumb line. Like, that's how it kind of is supposed to be. That's how it's supposed to look. A group, oh, I'm sorry, let me just go to the next slide here. The church has its own unique culture. It's, a, it's, it's the law of God. It's all of these things coming together and things that stand out about our church culture, right? There's things that should stand out about a church culture. Like you should be able to feel a little bit different in church, right? There should be some things you, you notice, right? Like love and encouragement and you hear a lot of bro and sis and a lot of hugs and side hugs and then like you don't know if they're going to give you a five or give you a hug and it's awkward or you don't even know if they're hugging because it's like COVID times and it's like what do I do? You know, a lot of, a lot of awkward moments too, but that's, what, that's when you're trying to love somebody, it's not always clean, right? It's not always just easy and nice, right? You're going you're gonna to have some mishaps there as we kind of rub shoulder to shoulder. And I'm going to get into that more later. Uh, it's, it's referred to as the bride of Christ, which is a really cool idea. It's a very big uh, biblical theme. The church is the bride of Christ. And 
uh, we are being, we're being prepared for this wedding, this, this, this union, right, where we meet, where we meet God, right, where his kingdom comes and, and we're going to be together, right, the church marrying uh, the king, Jesus. And uh, it's, it's an amazing thing. We're also kept safe in the kingdom. It says, you know, Jesus tells Peter, on this rock I'll build my church and not even the gates of Hades can overcome it. You're kept safe here. This is, this is a fortress. This is a spiritual fortress. Not the building, the people. That's the spiritual fortress. This is kind of why these relationships are so important. Just going to drink a water here. You guys with me so far? All right, it only gets, it only gets deeper. This is, you know, it, you know, it talks about how our blemishes are taken away. And so much of the Bible is about, you know, the English language. We don't really have a, like a y'all. We have the royal you, and then we have like the individual you. But oftentimes when you see the word you in your Bible, what do you think? You think it's talking to me, right, as an individual. Spanish is great. Like they have like tú and they have like. Ustedes or vosotros, right? So you, you have like you, like I'm talking to you, but they also have like y'all, right? We don't really see, like I'm from, I'm from Maryland, so, you know, y'all was very common. Like y'all is just not weird. Up here it's a little bit weird. Where are you from, Pat? I'm like, okay, gosh, I'm not like that south. But, yeah, but so we don't really have that. So we have to, and you should practice this sometimes. Try reading those, those places in the Bible where it says you and, 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 and read that as y'all. Just see what happens. Like, or, or in different cultures, they have like use guys or use, or, you know, there's all, I don't know, Pennsylvania has some, uh, Nick, Nick could tell us, but there's some, there's some all kinds of interesting stuff everywhere about Yince guys. I think that's one, right? Uh, that, that's out there. I think my mom told me about that. She was from Pennsylvania. Anyways, all right, stream of consciousness over. The teens love this. Teens love it when I go into streams of consciousness, right? All right. All right. You guys, man, these guys are awesome. All right, so listen, all right, let's do it. One tribe, one tribe, that's what we are. I chose tribe instead of family, uh, just to make a distinction, but like, yeah, it's all the same. We're one family, one tribe, one community, one jam, right? We're getting it going together, okay? So the Eastern world, right, so the setting where the Bible was written is, is part of this, it's an Eastern context, right? And I, I, have, I have a whole TikTok dedicated to, like, culture. Like, I just, me and my wife is from Jamaica, her family's from Jamaica. Like, we just talk about these, uh, my experiences on, and experiencing Jamaican culture. Like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just, I have a lot of fun, but whatever. And I think we can have fun with culture, right, when we do it tastefully and respectfully. And um, I think that it really enriches, like, a lot of really cool things when you understand it because then you begin to understand uh, just certain contexts of things, right? Like, you know, not, not everybody grew up the same. Not everybody had the same kind of setting where they grew up, right? We have different cultures and things. And so in the Eastern culture where the Bible was written, uh, there's, there's, some, there's some differences, right, between our Western world. And so the Eastern world was extremely collectivist, like extremely collectivist, like everything was about the community, Right? In Western world, we are much more about the individual. And I'm going to talk about some of the differences between that, okay? So in Eastern, you know, the highest goal is preserving the harmony of the community. That's like one of the highest goals. In the Western world, the highest goal is being kind of true to oneself, right? I'm doing me. You hear that in even our slang, right? Like, let me do me, man. Like, the teens tell me this. Like, you know, the highest goal is being true to oneself, like self-actualization. In the Eastern 
world, the community safety and preservation are a high priority, right? Like, is this, is this keeping my community safe? Like, you don't just think about how something impacts you personally. You think about how this impacts the community. A lot of you guys, you know, we, we also come in from, we have, there are collectivist subcultures. So we get this. If you ever played team sports, uh, policemen, firefighters, military, like, like there are collectivist subcultures, right? But I'm talking in Eastern culture, this was it. This was all of it. And so, but even some of the, some family dynamics, like Latino culture, African-American culture, like there's a lot of collectivism in these cultures, right? And so, you know, this idea is like, I don't just represent me. This, and this is why spreading the gospel in countries like Japan was so challenging, uh, because you're like representing you, your family, and all of your ancestors. So it's like, you don't just like make a unilateral kind of decision. Right, And so there's some challenges with that, but there's also some amazing revival and breakthrough because when one person sees Jesus and gets it, it's like they're bringing their family and everybody and their ancestors along with them. Right, So it's like it's really cool, and it also presents some challenges as well. Both do, uh, obviously. And um, in the Western world, maintaining and prote- protecting self-expression is a top priority. Right, Like you being able to have your opinions and express yourself that is considered here like the thing that should be protected at all costs. And just an example of that, um, I, read, I read something that talked about how like school uniforms uh, contribute to overall school safety, just as an example. But would you guys feel good about wearing school uniforms? Right? It's, 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 it's tough because it's like I don't get to express myself. Like, I don't get to wear my new, my new outfit. I don't get to wear my shoes. Da, da, da. And I get that. It's just that but what if you were really more safe doing that, right? It's like, what do we value more? I guess it's just, a, it's just worth thinking about, right? And it's worth thinking about even as a, a community here. Like, do our decisions kind of, do we make some of them in, in, with the community in mind? Or is it really about where I'm at and how I'm feeling? And this goes for families too, like in any kind of uh, community. And so... Uh, Eastern, the most important entity is the community. Western, the most important entity is the individual. All right, so I'm going to share a little bit about my family, the Genova clan. All right, so I'm going to show you first. This would be like something that would go on Instagram. Uh, this is like, this is not real, okay? This is at my wedding. No, we're all, I love my family. They're all awesome. I, got three bro- I have three brothers, one sister. And <laughs> if you ever saw us live in action, you would like, be like, what's wrong with them? But I love my family to death. It is a big, crazy Italian family, all right? And this is more accurate of, of us. I'm, I'm yelling. This was, at a, this was at like an Airbnb before my sister's wedding, and I'm like trying to prove a point. This was, this was a often seen in my house, maybe even in some of your homes. This is how I am, right? I'm the same here. I'm the same here, all right? And, and so I'm trying to, you know, this, was, this is part of my family culture maybe in some culture that's like what's going on you're this is disrespectful like we all come from different contexts and different lenses right all right so I want to share with you about my 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 dad all right this is my dad these are some quotes from my dad all right he says uh you're not going to take your brother so this was growing up okay I have three brothers and I have one younger brother and every time I went anywhere he would want to go with me all right so anytime I went anywhere he wants to go hey Pat where are you going I have to like sneak out of the house and so then I would try to sneak out, and he would catch me, and my dad would be like, you're not going to take your brother? I'm like, oh, man, dude, like, come on. Can I have one moment? So he was already kind of, and I don't know, maybe it's an Italian-American, I'm not exactly sure, but, he, but at least in this Genova household, he was trying to help me already connect some dots. 
That it's not just about you going to have fun. Let your brother go with you and have fun. This is just bonding time for you guys too, right? And uh, what else do you say? Are, are your shoes on? This, this typically happened on a Saturday when he started rage cleaning, right? And he would be like, basically a question in the morning of are your shoes on or at any time, random time of the day would, would mean you got to help me with something. Like that was it. He was saying, are your shoes on, which just basically meant we were about to go have to do something. And I'm like, I was just like, no. Nah. And then if, I, and if there was a little bit like, no, nah, he'd be like, what? You know, it's like, whoa. Like, I had to be, like, excited about it. I'm like, no, I'm not excited about whatever you're about to ask me to do. Uh, one of his famous things is no excuses. He's just, uh, he, he, had a, he had one of our family members make him an Instagram. He never goes on. I'm pretty sure that's, like, his handle. Um, figure it out. Uh, he was big with that. You know, just like, hey, I can't explain everything. Just figure it out. And I'm kind of wired like that. Like, I, I try not to, if I don't have to ask Try not to. You know, I try to just figure it out first. Uh, uh, ask your mother. <laughs> this is uh, it's probably more global, right? Uh, but I, I, I suppose that, that helps with some, some brand of collectivism. Maybe it's just a, co- a cop-out. I don't know. You tell me. Uh, have you called your grandmother? This is laced with some Italian guilt. That's, that's just like, it is a dangerous, dangerous moment. And Lamisha can tell you, because she's been there, when my dad says, have mother. Because if I, like, haven't within the last week, uh, oh, you know, well, she's alone. She's by herself. Like, you don't, like, you don't love you. I'm like, holy moly. Like, what did I just walk into here, you know? Okay, now I feel horrible about that. Uh, and then there's the thing, you know, remember you're a Genova, all right? He would say that all the time. I can't even really tell you exactly what that means, but I kind of understand it, if that makes sense. You know, like, you might not understand you remember here, you know, that'd be weird. Uh, but like me hearing it, I get it. And it has to do with all of these things, the way we were raised, the way we grew up, the things that were said in our house. Like this is what it means. And some of that is like, you know, yeah, don't be like soft all the time. Like we're very like, I grew up with a lot of brothers, okay. I'm not saying this is a, a, a purely Christian dynamic here. But it's like you got to be tough. You got to be strong. You got to be able to fend for yourself. Um, you know, and, and don't, do, don't, don't be stupid, kind of. You know, that's kind of, I guess, some of what that, what that meant. And so it's similar in Christianity that there should be some things that just kind of go without saying, right? That it's like, okay, you're a Christian, right? And, and that means a whole lot of things for us. Like, you get that. You get what that identity kind of means for you or for us. And hopefully as we read our Bibles, as we hear sermons, that we're, that we're forming more and more of that. And we're embodying more and more of that because our first allegiance my first allegiance is to Jesus right so my first thing is like you know God telling me remember you're a Christian right so before you leave the house it's actually but when you wake up when you wake up from your dreams remember you're a Christian right the whole remember you're a Genova would be before I left the house but for us guys when we wake up it's like remember you're a Christian that means something that's that's your family like that's your last name that's your heritage like, that's what, you're, that's what you, we should be all about. Just like you're, you're proud of whatever it is that you're a part of. Like, you're a Christian. So, so walk that way. Act that way. Talk that way. Remember that when you see somebody struggling. Remember that when you want to be rude at Starbucks. Like, remember you're a Christian. Right? And, and that changes a lot about how we view things. In Luke 8, 20, verse 22, this was radical. This was radical for Jesus to 
in a collectivist culture. He said, someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. This is, ra- this is radical here in our individualistic culture. Imagine how much more radical it was in this collective culture. Like, no, that's actually not. You're, you know, that, no, you're, whoever does the will of God is your family family. Like, that's your family, but this is your family family. Like, that's, that's really, really radical. That's really hard for us to grasp. Right? Without, without fully even understanding, like, what's at stake and what are the implications of something like that. It was a radical statement. And family, it's really great because it's often used as some amazing analogies and examples for how we interact as a church. Right? With this whole idea of collective lordship. Like, you, you, we all have different family dynamics. We've all come from way different family dynamics. Right? But the church offers us an opportunity to practice family in a way that maybe we've seen growing up or in a way that maybe we haven't seen growing up, right? And either way, we have guardrails, scriptures that teach us how a family should be, like your legitimate biological family. That should be your your husband-wife relationships, kids, all these things. And that also serves as a model that parallels the church, right? All right, so I want to show you guys some of these things. And we'll go, I guess, around here. So there's these family examples. In 1 Timothy 1-2, Paul says to Timothy, he refers to him as my son in the faith. That's deep. My son in the faith. Like, have you called somebody your son in the faith? You know, do you feel that? I think a lot of us here probably do, right? I know I feel like a kindred spirit with a lot of people here. You know, we have 1 Timothy 5, 1-2. You know, this is about um, how we treat each other. Sorry, I didn't write it down. Oh, yeah, right. It talks about just basically how to interact with, like, different age groups, different, you know, demographics, right? And these also, like, help you in your family. They're meant for that, right? So, like, it's family and church. We're beginning to understand what is appropriate, what is appropriate conduct for us in our families and as a church family, right? And even if you didn't have a family like this, these scriptures do offer that, right? This, this, this opportunity because, man, being able to heal stuff in the church is, is an amazing thing. You know, being able to work through some, some of the stuff, some of the, 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 the schemas, so to speak, or the, or the life cycles or these patterns that continue over our lives. Like, we get to heal a lot of that stuff in the church. It's as we kind of follow these guardrails. You know, and I did want to ask, it's, it's worth thinking, if, if family is so important, right, as in, the, in, it, in that it serves as a model for the church, how is your family today? Like your family. I'm talking husband, wives, sons, like all of that. How is that going? Like are you honoring your role within your community, your family today? Teens, are you honoring your role that, you know, it's not just about me and what I want. And my self-expression, even, it's about, like, I'm, I'm representing this last name when I go out, right? I'm representing a collective when I go out. It's not just about you, right? And parents, same thing. Like, do you have a sense of, man, as I navigate family, as I navigate my marriage, as I navigate these things, it's not just about what I want to do, what I feel, but what I do impacts all of us. How I 
how I exchanged, right, a husband with a wife, a wife with a husband, that impacts the family, right? And it's the same thing in the church. And we can share the gospel. Like, we are sharing our faith through our family dynamics, which is crazy. And you see this in Titus 2, 4 through 5, Titus 2, 6 through 7. And basically, it's just this opportunity to just, for us, as, as our families are coming together, we are a light to the world, right? We, when we have great families, when, when that stuff's, and I'm a youth and family minister, so obviously this is very important to me, that when we have great families as a church, that is sharing your faith. Like, the world will take notice of that because you represent truth, right? Oh, Siri, I'm sorry. You, you represent the truth, right? So people can look at you and say, here's, here's something close to the truth. So then they, they begin to calibrate themselves based on you, which is a very high calling, right? And one that we need to take very, very seriously if we don this last name, Christian. Right, if we want, if we have that name and we wear that name, it's very, it's it's not a light matter, right? It's not a light matter. You know, there's a there's a, a a saying, and maybe you've heard this: you can't choose your family, but you can choose your church. That's crazy, right? That's like you can. It's like making church out to be like a health club where as long as you agree with the mission statement and the amenities and the whatever, uh, you, you know. The pastor's hair color, I mean, whatever, like, then you're going to be a part, then you'll stay a part of it, right? Oh, I'm there, I'm there for that. But as soon as it stops meeting your needs, right, and I'm not talking about anybody who calls themselves a church because anybody can call themselves anything. I call myself like an NBA basketball player. But you know what makes me an NBA basketball player is an NBA contract, right? So anybody can say they're a church, doesn't necessarily make them a church. But I'm talking about any church where this, this idea of Jesus being Lord is real, right? And, and even in that context, and even in that context, it could be treated like a health club. Like, oh, I'm not feeling that. You know, that's, mm, that wasn't really for me. You know, I don't really like the way, I don't really like the way he said X, Y, Z. And it's like, I'm, I'm gone. What is that? Is that family to you? Is that how you want your family to be? And do we really think of ourselves like that then? And if so, it would be, it would make it, I mean, I've had my family, we've had, we've had really hard times as a family, as probably all families had, you know. And I just remember these moments where I had to make decisions that this moment wasn't going to lead uh, to 20 years of not talking ever again. Like, I just, I just remember, and even there was, there was a time recently where, I mean, playing on Shannon's, me and my sister kind of got into it a little bit. And it was over text messages, it's like the dumbest thing ever. And, you know, because you, you always misread text messages. And so I'm in a family chat, all right, and uh, humor me on this. I'm on a family chat, and, and uh, I'm saying something I didn't think was a big deal. And then, and then, and then I, you know, she writes a couple paragraphs. I'm like, whoa, like, it was like hurtful kind of stuff on there. And, and now we've talked it through, so I understand where she was coming from. So, Anna, if you're listening, I love you. But, but then, so I'm, so I'm talking, to, uh, I was actually talking to Lolly about this, and Lamisha was there, and they, they wanted to read it because I'm like, I don't know, I'm just kind of angry here. And, and uh, they read it, and Lolly, Lolly wrote me a text that I could send back to her, which I'm like, no, I'm not going to send this if I don't feel this, right? Like it was a very nice, well, well-written text. I was kind of much more comfortable with like allowing the, um, I don't know, the, the, the toxicity to continue, right? Uh, sin, sin, right? That's what it was. 
And, uh, you know, Lolly was like, here you go. She didn't push me. She didn't force me to do it. And I was like, all right, yeah, whatever. And then I let, I let like a day go by. I was like, let me just go ahead and hit send on this thing. And I prayed about it first, made sure I was in line with those words, or I got my soul in line with them, made a few adjustments, all right, no grammatical errors, great, it was well written. And I sent it, and my sister was like, hey, I'm sorry too, my bad, I was just whatever. And now we're good. But think about how a moment like that, right, if you're not a Christian or you're just whatever, you don't, you don't have that sense of I'm a Christian, you just let that, and it's 20 years later. <laughs> like, it's like that. Right, because life just picks back up, and it could be like that here. It could be like that here. Why do you think Jesus is so so big on go and reconcile quickly? Because before you know it, it's ten years. Before you know it, you're just angry, and you wake up, and every time you think about that situation, you just get more angry, right? Because you let so much time go by, and now you have to justify why you never did. And as you justify why you never went back, you find more reasons to make that person seem more evil. Because that's the only way you could justify not having gone back to reconcile quickly, right? And so that's a hardening of your heart when that happens. You are hardening your heart. When you have to justify why you didn't go back to reconcile day after day, your heart is hardening. That's the process of your heart becoming hard. So don't fall into that. And you might need some help with that. And we're here to help you with that when we see it. So don't, if you're here a part of this church, don't be surprised when somebody comes up to you. If, it's, if, if, if your sin is like on full display, you'll be like, hey, like, what's up, you know? Because that's what family does. If I don't show up to a family dinner, especially if I'm living nearby, I'm getting calls. I'm getting texts like, hey, what's going on? Is Pat okay? Right? And, and yeah, I can send them a message back. I'm fine, you know. But sometimes they might be right, uh, you know. I've had, you know, family members leave a group chat, like whatever, like, oh, what's going on? Oh, you know, what's happening here? This is symptomatic of something more. And um, anyways, God, if we're not careful, our individualistic assumptions about church can leave us looking at church just like something that's not supposed to be, something other than family. This is described in the Bible as family. Do you think of it that way? Do you feel that way about this family? It hurts to see people quit church. And we feel it, don't we? I mean, I can tell you guys, I really fight. I fight to not give up on you guys. You know, having played team sports, and you guys are awesome, but still you're human. And it's like, yeah, it's a fight sometimes to not give up on each other. And I pray you fight to not give up on me. I pray you fight to not give up on each other. Right? We are all in this thing together. We don't get to choose who becomes a Christian with us, but we are committed to them. We do not get to choose who becomes a Christian with us, but we are called to be committed to them. We are bound to each other in the spirit. We are not free to dissociate our identities from each other as a church. Because once we are in Christ, our own individualistic identities are no longer our primary importance. If you're a Christian, your own individualistic identity is not of primary importance. So what does that mean? Your strong opinions matter, but they're not of primary importance. You get the distinction, right? Your personal preferences, they matter. I want to hear about them. I'm sure we would all, it's great to talk. That's what conversation is often about, but it's not of primary importance. Your personal critiques or criticism, they matter. 
Because what you feel, it's valid and it matters, but it's not of primary importance. It's not worth destroying this, right? It's not worth messing this family up, right? God takes this very serious. And is, that your, is, is this family, the unity of it, the, the, the commitment, the collective commitment to Jesus being Lord, is that really your primary importance today? Do you care about we more than you care about me? Do you care about we more than you care about me? If it is, then anything in you, sin, mental health, lack of forgiveness, lack of vulnerability, lack of love, self-focus, selfish ambition, strong opinions, criticalness, you, they would be worked on expediently, as my man T.I. would say. Expediently you would work on those things, right? You would deal with that stuff because that's causing division. It's causing rifts. You're messing with the family. And I feel that because I was raised that way. And if you mess with the family, it's a big deal. And it, it doesn't have to be. It's, it's often for me not even personal. Like, it's not like you did it to me. I do get my feelings hurt, but when I see other people, like, having issues, like, it, oh, my gosh, it bothers me so much. And I'm like, yeah, work it out, hash it out, and then let's move on as a family together, right? Guys, when we have this tribe, it's different. It's awesome because you feel a sense of security, too. Like, you could take some risks. And mess up. Like if you, if you have good family, then you know what that feels like. You, or you can take a risk and you know you can mess up because they got you. Right? You know that you can, uh, you, you, that, you know, if you say something maybe that, that wasn't the right or exactly the best way you should have said it, they're not just going to write you off because that's family. So you don't walk around on eggshells all the time because at the end of the day, you know you're, it's going to be good. It's not going to be like this thing that's, Anything can be said, we'll, we'll be used against you in a court of law thing. Like, no, it's safe. And we all want to feel that here. And it's awesome to have this mindset. You know, this tribe, this tribe is different. Paul uses the metaphor of, of it's like a body of Christ. It's like a body of Christ, all these things interacting together. He talks about it being a royal priesthood. We're part of a royal priesthood. It also talks about how all of us together are being, are a holy temple, right? We are, we are the, yes, the Holy Spirit dwells in us personally, but as we are being built up together, the Holy Spirit dwells in us collectively. Does that matter to you? Do you take that serious? Not just that you have a holy, the Holy Spirit in you, but that there's something going on collectively and, and the way the Holy Spirit manifests collectively that, if we're not being built up in the way the Bible says, that power is diminished, right? The Holy Spirit's ability to do things in our midst is diminished. So why go to church? And then I'll move on right after this. Why go to church? Why worship with a group? Why pray together? Why share our faith together? Why serve together? You know, I, you know, like I, you know, I go to church every day. It's in my, it's in my home, and I'm like, yeah, no, I have quiet times too. It's not, it's not the same as like a, a, a assembly of God, though. It's not, it's not the same thing. And here's why we go to church. And it's because perhaps in some way we don't fully understand the Holy Spirit manifests himself in the group. There it is. In the group in a way that it does not manifest in the individual. I think as you read the Bible, you can see that. As you read the Bible, you can see that theme. And so that's why I come to church. It's for, it's for you. It's for you to experience God. It's for you to experience the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, I want to talk about, this is my, we're going to talk for a something fun for you guys. 
I know. This is like the tech. The, take the mic. Let's do it. All right. All right. Amen. You guys still here? This is a good break. All right. That was, a, that was your three-second intermission. Let me get some water here. You guys still here? All right. All right. All right, one truth. What is this about? So there are many moments in the Bible where it addresses where the church gets kind of askew, right, where it's, it, it gets a little bit askew. So right now we're talking about collective, right? In the past two weeks, we've, we've talked about individual repentance. We've talked about your personal commitment to lordship. And today we're talking about it more as a group. And so in Amos 7, 7 through 9, I've been very inspired. Um, if you don't know Ed Anton, he's in our fellowship he wrote a book on repentance that's really incredible, and a lot of what I'm going to share is, is inspired by him. And I want to share it with you guys because it was really, really both inspiring and convicting. And in Amos 7, 7 through 9, it says, This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by the wall that had been built true to plumb, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, What do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, Look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. So when you have a true line, that, and that's what a plumb line is, it, it lets you know what's off, right? It lets you know when something's not flush up against, it's not plumb, right? So when you have a true line, you're able to see what's crooked. But you're not able to actually see what's crooked unless you have a true line, right? Like if there's no true line, then nothing is crooked. Um, so when God put the plumb line to Israel, it revealed their crookedness and judgment to them. And there are times... When, the, when a group can drift, and we, if you read Revelation, Revelation 3 through 6, it's these, it's these admonitions and rebukes to different churches where it talks about something that's happening as a, as a group, as a, as a culture. And there are times when groups drift. I mean, this is in your family, this is in church, this is in your corporate setting, this is in your team setting. Um, and so this is, I know all of us get this at some level. I don't know if you knew this. But 91% of the Bible's uh, calls to repentance are actually to a group of people. And so often we read the Bible and it's like, that's, that's for me. And yes, it is. It's, it's for you uh, to repent personally. But how often do we think about repenting uh, collectively? Right? Not, not too often. Right? I, and when I was, I'm listening to this, I'm like, oh my gosh. This is super, super profound. And there are... In any culture, there can be imperceptible, tiny little changes in a group that eventually can take you away from God, lead you away from God, even as a group, as a collective. This is the proverbial um, frog, uh, boy, how do you boil a frog? I know that sounds graphic. You guys ever heard that? Well, it, yeah, you just you put it in cold water and you heat it up and before, before the frog realized it's boiling temperature. And um, so there, that's like these tiny imperceptible changes. And this can happen in church. Like, this is what can lead to a more kind of suburban lifestyle where, like, Jesus gets sprinkled in, right? Where it's not really, like, a people set apart honoring their lordship. And uh, we have great hope because unlike, this is what makes the church difference, different. Unlike most organizations or corporate cultures, we can actually have real change in a church community because of our lordship to Jesus, and it's not to be taken lightly to be part of the body of Christ. You know, we're meant to have a culture of nothing less than the Jesus Christ community for the greater Fairfield, New Haven areas. That's what we are called to have and to be. 
you know, we're not of noble birth. Maybe, I don't know, I don't know, maybe someone here is if you're noble birth. But yet we're the ones gathered by Jesus, purchased by his blood, to be able to do this for our communities and for each other. Why would we half-step that significance? Why would we act like that's, that's not a big deal? In God's eyes, it is no light matter to check out spiritually on your brothers or sisters in Christ. It's no light issue to not show up for your family in Christ when you are able to do so. It is no light issue to give yourself permission to sin, and it's no light issue to not use our gifts for God when you're thinking about the collective. It makes a lot more sense to check out when you're thinking about you. You you can find a lot of ways to give yourself permission, but when you're thinking about the family, it can change a lot of what you do and how you act and how you behave, right? I want, to show, I want to do a little demonstration here. All right, so I'm going to ask uh, Elijah and Dylan to stand up really quick. These are two of our teens, okay? All right. Okay, yeah, let's give it up. <laughs> and and Kev, Kevin's going to stand up. So, Kevin, you're going to restrain Dylan, okay? You're going to hold his arms down. That's Kevin. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I got to get Kevin up here. All right, he's holding Dylan. Elijah, I want you to chuck that ball at Dylan. All right, you guys can be seated. Thank you. Okay, why? <laughs> I just wanted to do that. There's no point. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there is an illustration, okay? All right. Here's why collective repentance is important. How come none of y'all did anything? How come y'all didn't look out for Dylan? Just because I got a mic and I'm saying something that makes that okay? Look at you guys. You're like, oh, I hate you. Why'd you do that? This is why collective repentance is important. You might not have thrown the ball at Dylan. Elijah did. Maybe there's levels to this. I don't know. But we're all here, right? We're all here. We saw it. And I'm just trying to make a point like like our our collective culture can lead to things happening, right? Who's to say, uh, you know, Josue doesn't jump in and take the bullet, take the ball, you know, you know, as as, uh, Elijah's chucking it at Dylan, right? And so I, I want to kind of draw that out just, just for a second here. Because when there's sin or when there's something that's going on, and this is true even of, of the cross, right? That although we weren't necessarily there physically to do that, right? We have sinned in the ways that led to that happening, right? So we might not have put the nails in Jesus' hands, but if you've ever been a coward, then you were there saying nothing, when, when you knew an innocent man was being crucified, right? If you're like, don't ever want to speak up for anything, then you're there too. If you're like trying to be politically correct all the time, then you're like Pilate, washing your hands of the situation, trying to play both sides, right? If you're Peter, you're denying you knew him. You're, if you're Judas, you betray. Like if you've ever done, if you've ever committed any sin, then that, that culmination led to Jesus being crucified. That's why we did it. That's why you did it. That's why that's personal, right? Because we had an opportunity to stop it. Why wasn't it stopped? What, what was the culture that led to an innocent man being crucified? How can a culture get to a point of an innocent man being, or be, that being okay? So we're even to the point of you could cheer for it, where you could cheer for it happening. That's a scary place to be, and, and, and Jesus' death is the indictment on, on, on our 
ideas of culture, right? It shows and exposes where culture is off and askew, you know? And, and here's the thing about church. With, there could be overreactions to what we just saw too. So what would an overreaction be? And, and I'm just going to, I'm not going to get into all this. Guys, I have so much I want to share about this, and it's going to be happening in midweek. So don't worry about it. But basically what can happen is, is this is George Hegel. He's a German philosopher. He said, listen, sometimes you get off. That's called thesis. Then there's an overreaction, antithesis, or antithesis, I guess. All right, so you get off. And then these two things battle, and then you find synthesis, right? And so in church history, this happens. And you see this in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. I'll just paraphrase it for you. This guy is rebuked for sexual immorality in an awful kind, awful, awful, it was just terrible situation. And Paul rebukes him in 1 Corinthians, right? Or they, he rebukes the church because it says not just that this was happening, but that you're proud. That was the culture, that they were like, we've ascended to a new level of Christianity where we can allow this to happen because maybe our understanding of grace is just so awesome. We don't know exactly what it was, but they got to a place where they were cool with seeing this sin happen, right? So Paul rebukes the whole church. Then what happens is they go to this place of antithesis, right? And Paul's like, no, 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 okay, look, let's bring them back to fellowship, all right? Because we don't want them to be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow, all right, you guys, okay, I appreciate your heart, but let's like, let's come back to Jesus, right? Let's come back to the truth. And this happens in church history all of the time, and it is why collective repentance is so important. So why is this important for us? Because you might say, hey, the church is like too commercial, uh, so let's like start just a purely house church thing, right? Like that's out there, right? Uh, the church is too progressive, so let's bring radical conservative values back. The church is too conservative. Let's compromise every biblical standard we have so we can be woke. Uh, the church is too materialistic, so let's have everyone take a vow of poverty. A lot of these things are just like these overreactions. How do we avoid that? And James chapter 1, 23, it says, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. The way that we avoid overreactions, the way that we avoid overreactions is by looking in the mirror and asking ourselves, how have I contributed to that culture? That is the way we avoid overreactions. We look in the mirror and we say, how have I contributed to this culture? And I'm going to repent of the ways that I've contributed to the culture. So whatever problems one might see in a church, the best and first question to ask is, how have I contributed to the culture? And biblically, you actually see these moments of like this holy kind of assembly. People come together and they say, this is where we've blown it, collectively. And oftentimes, it's a prophet from the outside that helps them to understand that. Because when you're in the thing, it can be hard to see sometimes, right? So we're going to take communion here in a second. And as we take communion, I want us to reflect on a few things. I really appreciate you guys hanging in there with me for this third installment. And uh, we are really going to hash this out as a church at our midweeks. But as we take communion, I want us all, and you can put your hand up if you don't have a communion cup. We're going to think about and reflect on some things. You know, how has the family, how has the family of God made your life better? Because that was only possible through what Jesus did. How has the family of God made your life better? And also just reflecting on if, if I am dedicated 
to my brothers and sisters collectively in a way that honors Jesus' death. Just reflect on those things as we take communion. I'm, I'm so grateful uh, for this fellowship. I'm so grateful for this family. I'm so grateful for your attention uh, through this sermon. I love you guys, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing all that God is going to do. So I'm going to pray for our communion, and we're going to go ahead and do that. Dear God, thank you so much uh, for this family. Thank you for this fellowship. Thank you for the opportunity to just worship you, God. Uh, I just pray uh, that you be with us as a family, God. You help us to see any error in our ways, God, that you help us to repent in the ways that we need to as we compare ourselves uh, to you, Father. I'm so grateful, uh, Father, for all that you have done, and thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die for us, God. Uh, we are not worthy, and indeed, we've also contributed to that, Father, and I pray, God, that we can really live our lives in a way that honors that sacrifice. We love you, God, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been an episode of the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ podcast. Please subscribe so you can keep up to date with the latest podcast.